Good morning, Sussex Squad Nation. Good morning, wherever you are. Uh, I hope you're happy being a happy Sunday, a blessed Sunday. And so, yeah. So how are you guys doing, Charles and George? Excellent. Bon dimanche to all. Yes. No, doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. A little chilly, but powering through. Happy that spring is on the way, I think. Wow, yes, can't wait. What an amazing week that we just had. Ah, God, it feels Incredible. like a month. It feels like a month, feels like a month packed into so a week. Much. You're right. It actually does. It feels like it was so long. There's so much happening so quick. It's, it's so hard to keep up. Thank God we have the Sussex Squad Nation, the Sussex Squad, you know, channel just to keep up every day with what's going on. I mean, I couldn't keep up. My God, I mean, it was one thing after another, right? It's crazy. And, and 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 also the fact that you guys are here with me and in, in the studio. I mean, thank you so much because you guys was. I mean, your schedule was crazy. You was everywhere doing everything, and so I mean, I I don't even understand how you guys are here. I guess that's a testament of to you guys the fact that you committed to. The um, oh my God, I'm 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 losing <laughs> to the cause <laughs> to the cause. The fact that you guys are here, so talk to me. So what's been going on, and so what did you guys do, and um, what is happening in the world of our boy, our girl? Well, just to talk a little bit about what we've been up to, we just had, as you mentioned before, just a ton of just. You know, meetings and work and good announcements and then just feedback and conferences and then it's just go, 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 go. So um, it's been great, um, you know, just and that's not including everything that actually we do try to have a personal life of some sort. So it's good. It's At good. this moment, I don't think any one of us have a personal life. Just a lot less sleep. <laughs> just a lot less sleep. Exactly. Days. I've been going on what, like three, four days now? Yeah, about three days. Yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah. So uh, just in terms of what's going on with, uh, with our boy, uh, the latest and greatest actually was Happy International Women's Day, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So on March 8th, uh, the Archwell Foundation celebrated International Women's Day uh, with a visit to a wonderful place called the Harvest Home. Oh, my God. Our girls was out and she was doing it all in black and beautiful Chanel bag, which... May I say, I should put that in the list. If it's not now, maybe for Christmas. <laughs> you're, already, you're already raising your hand for that? I see. <laughs> maybe somebody will give that to me as a gift or something. That was really beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so for Harvest Home, I think just in case everyone's not aware in terms of what the, uh, the mission and cause of this particular uh, charity happens to be, it's actually pretty cool. So this organization actually helps provide housing. Uh, mental well-being support, and classes to expectant mothers uh, who've actually faced tremendous challenges, including like domestic violence or if it's substance abuse or if it's homelessness. Um, you know, you kind of name it. They basically just provide shelter. 
They, they provide shelter and support for these disadvantaged women. Um, and it founded in 1985. Um, and it's really been supported over 600 pregnant women and their children so far. So wow. they've done a really fantastic job. What's so incredible about this? Again, this is why we... The, the, the squads are here. The social squad nation continues supporting, uplifting, and, and, and love them. And, you know, it's not about, you know, they're not perfect people, right? But the work that they do is so important because I didn't know until, you know, that day, I didn't know something like that even exists. And you realize how good this is, you know? And the fact that this is how she chooses to celebrate it. I mean, wow, especially in tell of everything else that was going on, you know, because, you know, they wanted her gone. She was gone. Now they want her out. <laughs> now she's out. They don't know what to do with her. And so the fact that this is how she chose to spend her day. Wow. It just uplift me. I think everyone listening to us right now is going to be able to tell that all of us are hopped up on caffeine and to caffeine. make up for the lack of sleep. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> but no, but Squad Nation, just so we can be here with you guys this Sunday. So, but in all yeah. seriousness, though, in all seriousness, just to, to pause for a moment, I think uh, it's important, obviously, as you mentioned, the, the work that they're doing and, and what that the, really the tangible impact that it has on people's lives and why that matters. But at the same time, also to just pause for a moment and to thank all of the women, Lady Sussex here, all of you who are listening, everyone in the world, all of the women who really are the ones that kind of make life happen. Literally. Quite literally. <laughs> quite quite, quite literally, but also in terms of just making sure that we don't lose touch with humanity. I think, um, and we'll talk about the Uplift Conference in a little bit when, when Harry was saying something similar in terms of what he believes about women and how they really should be in, in charge of many, many more things because of the, the compassion that they can bring and, and the humanity. But seriously, in honor of International Women's Day, in honor of Women's History Month, we shouldn't need a day or a month to be doing this. But at the very least, we will make sure that we take the time to acknowledge right now. Uh, thank you. Thank you to the mothers, the sisters, the daughters, the cousins, the aunts, Thank you to all of the women in our lives who make our lives that much better. And the women of uh, the Sussex Squad Nations. And especially the women of the Sussex Squad Nation. Thank you. And thank you of the small subset of the Sussex Squad Nation that listens to our podcast. Uh, uh, thank you specifically <laughs> for supporting us. Yep. So um, just to give a little bit of background. So uh, the last thing is that we wanted to mention is actually um, the uplift. So yeah. everyone remember the Uplift Summit from last week. Oh, so that was so good. In case you missed it, you're going to have a chance to actually access a certain number of sessions uh, uh, regarding the event. It was so good. Yes. we we get, uh, Lady Sussex and I did get a chance to watch it, actually, and Charles is going to catch up. He just was stuck in, in work, like we said. We've had a crazy week. But the fact that we got to watch, especially Harry's last oh my God. keynote, it was Exceptional. He did oh a really great job. And I the think, women's was amazing. Oh God, we, could, we could spend the entire service <clears throat> talking about that and the fact that that is what you would expect or what you would want from a leader. your leader. Exactly. Amen. Proactively addressing problems as opposed to just taking advantage after the fact for yourself. Uh, so, yeah. I mean. Or actually uh, just like trying to solve them. <laughs> exactly. Like actually addressing them at all. And it's back to lately our, our leaders have not been doing that whatsoever. Right. It's back to what I'm saying. It's just a reminder why we doing what we're doing. And, and just I, I, the one thing I will add on that is I think 
so many people that uh, have either bought into the false narrative or just are haters for whatever the reason that they are haters. I think they'll probably try to pick on the fact that it is for profit. It is a company making money. Um, and actually, for for myself, that gives it even more credibility in my perspective, because if your if your solution to a problem is just to um, kind of throw money at something in a non sustainable way, just throwing it as if to as a, as a band aid, as opposed to trying to put in place a new system that can actually be viable as a system that can exist uh, in in and of itself. That to me is a is a more credible, more authentic solution that uh, leaders should actually be trying to push forward. It's not just about doing charity. Yes, charity is important, but if we can actually change the systems of the society in which we live that can do better and also be viable them in and of themselves, that that to me is the best of both worlds. Well, the fact that we are having the conversation right now, it's to me, it's a win-win. So, I mean, is there anything else? Because we do have something else coming up in what is the countdown now? So, yeah. So just in terms of the countdown as it stands, the countdown for the coordination, 55 days, 19 hours, 43 minutes, and 33 seconds is basically kind of where we are for uh, where King Chuck is going to start <laughs> doing his thing. Well, in that case, we need to get the service started because before we have you go, a packed before you show. Go, yeah, before you go, you can't, you can't kick off the service yet because we do need to, as always. Correct. Make sure that we're very clear. Some of the people, are, the people who have been listening might get tired of hearing this, but it is important that this service, this Sussex Sunday service, is not here to convert anyone. It's not here to make anyone change their religion. We are also certainly not experts, if you can already tell. Um, and we're here because uh, we believe in, in what we are talking about ourselves. They are our own beliefs, and we believe it is important to talk about them because um, if we are not... Uh, serving and trying to make the world a better place, then I think all three of us agree that that is a, uh, a missed opportunity for for our life. And so part of that is looking at those who are doing the work and are making the, the, the biggest difference and, and the most positive impact on society. And if you look anywhere, I think this is uh, what Alexi said in the, the beginning of the keynote, is they looked around the short list of who could be the the, the people to associate with better up, and there was a list of one, <laughs> and it was Harry. And so Harry and Megan, I mean, the two of them, they are doing incredible work. And so it matters. It, it is worth supporting for them and for everyone that their work impacts. Amen. And, and absolutely. And we get to do that in the presence of God. So let's get the service started. Don't be afraid. We are society. Built on love. Built on tolerance. Built on love. Each other. Acceptance. Give them love. Give them love. Don't matter what you look like. No matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly. I'm talking to London. I'm talking to D.C. Okay, guys. Um, Sussex Squad Nation, get your pen. Get closer to your phone because today's service, in today's service, we're going to be looking at um, a couple words. And the words for today's service 
is chaos, control, public relations, and the big word, mistress. And so, yeah, Charles, um, what should we know and what is the definition of chaos? Yeah, so let me run through the first two for you. So for chaos, it's actually quite an interesting word. Um, so first, I closely identify with it because my life just these days sounds uh, is very much within chaos, as we are talking about with all the crazy things we have to do. But the definition specifically is actually the complete disorder and confusion. That's mm -hmm. actually what chaos means. From physics, uh, but really perhaps quite applicable here, the behavior so unpredictable as to appear random. Mm-hmm. It's owing to a great sensitivity to small changes in conditions. Now, the etymology is also very interesting because it actually comes from the Greek word vast chasm or void. Creating chaos as a strategy is, in effect, creating actually a void. So the second word here is control. So control, as the actual definition, is the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. Now, say it again, say it again, control. It's the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. Okay. So it actually comes from the ancient Greek. Enkratia is actually the name of it. Um, and then if you actually break those two words apart, um, the N is basically from in power. So enkratos is actually power. So in power is actually how those two things fit together and is a state of power over something, usually a state of self-control or self-mastery where one holds power over one's own passions and instincts is also first used in the context of self-control by three of Socrates students, mm -hmm. his most famous students. Yeah. My favorite. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the first is obviously Plato, whom everyone knows. Zionon is his second. Okay. So for Xenophon specifically, um, Incretia is just a particular virtue, but the actual foundation of all virtues. So he believed it was actually something that actually your entire life, basically everything that you should strive for should actually be based on this idea of control and self-control specifically and self-mastery. Mm -hmm. So Epictetus perhaps uh, more than any other Stoic of his time, was actually fond of preaching this Stoic tenet of control. And it's not surprising, therefore, he actually explains that the most important part of a task is for an individual to know what is and what is not within their control. So just one more piece of it. So the dichotomy of control actually is a chief task in life is simply this. It's simply to identify the separate matters so that you can clearly say, what are external and not under my control? And which do I actually have the choices which I can actually control? Right. Those are actually the two big things. Very good. Thank you, Charles. And before you, can you, well, you well, like before, add that? Yes, because mm -hmm. I think those two words are, are super important. And everyone's going to see why when we're talking about when we get to the main portion of the service today. Um, but a lot of times people think about chaos and control and they think about them as being uh, opposites. And so maybe in a, in a given context, one is a good thing. It's good to have control. Um, and it's a bad thing to have chaos. It's kind of got this innate 
sense of being a, 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 a con as opposed to a pro. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is when you as go through these sort of the definitions and the etymology, as Charles was just saying, they're neither in and of themselves. They are each, so. they're each uh, tools, really, in a toolkit, uh, especially for someone who is a strategist, especially for someone who is trying to get to a position of power. It just, I mean, to go back to that idea of chaos, <laughs> I think this is, uh, everyone in the Sussex Squad will especially appreciate this with the attention that we pay to what the media says and just the absolute nonsense and seeming chaos that comes through the headlines is that it is actually in, in this, the, the definition from physics is to say unpredictable as to appear random. <laughs> it's Correct. not actually that it's random. Right. It's, it appears random. Mm-hmm. And it is, again, going back to the, the etymology, as, as Charles just said, it is a void. A chaos is a void. It is an absence of something else. So if you are a strategist who's trying to create a place to enter, what would you do? You would make a void. You would create that space in and of itself using chaos. So it's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's not, oh, wow, the, the tabloids are all, all over the place. It's them doing something wrong or them uh, messing up or a, a bad business plan. It's not any of that. It's actually uh, should be understood as a tool in a toolkit, just the same way as control is. And I think that the thing that struck me about those definitions of control is that people think of control, they usually think about it in the context of control over Someone else. Someone. Mm-hmm. Control over something else. I mean, that's the definition at the beginning. The power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events makes you but think other people. But it is in some way, no? It is. It is. Right. But the thing that's also important when you think about how the, the, the Stoics thought about it is that it is not just that it matters for other people. And perhaps it matters even more when it comes to control over yourself and, and self-control specifically. And that as a, another tool in the toolkit for a strategist that is – going to try to uh, play a long game, a long strategy of, of achieving something, that ability to wield self-control, to have patience, to act in a certain way, uh, to not give in to short-term desires, but to really focus on the bigger picture, the long-term goal, that control is perhaps even more important. But would you say that, you know what, yes, there is people that will have that kind of understanding where they can be self-controlled themselves, not particularly control others, right? But there is people that will seek to control others. It's true. But I think that's probably where we'll get to and as a part of the discussion later is that those people who uh, seek to control others for better or for worse, because mm-hmm. for better or for worse, that the importance of the, the ability to get to that place to do that depends on self-control first. Okay. So I suppose now we move to public relations. Public relations. Public relations is fun. It is a really fun thing. And I think everyone kind of knows this, but the fact that this is literally its history, I didn't, I didn't personally know before looking this up. Uh, So I think everyone's going to enjoy this. And the definition's fairly obvious. It is the professional maintenance of a favorable public image by a company or an organization or a famous person, or it's the given state of that um, public image. So that's fine. But the term actually gained popularity uh, in the sort of starting in the, the beginning of the 20th century. And it gained popularity as a euphemism for propaganda. That was it. <laughs> it's just another way of like actually came into being. It's just another way of saying propaganda. Interesting. Propaganda got a negative connotation because of all the political upheavals happening in the 20th century. I mean, specifically uh, what the Germans were doing at that, at that point in time. 
Um, and so there's this um, person whose name is Edward Bernays. He, he passed away in 1995. He's actually referred to in some circles as the father of public relations. And he recalled that he was uh, in, in his documentary, he had an interview. He recalled that he literally just wanted to think of another way to call it because that propaganda as had been demonstrated in, in world war two propaganda could certainly be a tool for war for doing harm. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, if it can do that, then it certainly can also be a tool for peace. And so if it's going to be also used for a tool for peace, we need another word, another term for it that uh, has, doesn't have those negative connotations has positive connotations. Um, and so that history is, is really interesting, but it's, um, thinking about that, that built image, the propaganda of the term public relations itself is something for us to keep in mind when we listen to those press releases, uh, the, the briefings, the the tabloids of what they're saying, that they're, this public image campaigns that we'll talk Correct. about in a little mm -hmm. bit, that there's actually some, some serious connotations as it relates to just how we even understand that word to begin with. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very interesting. And I suppose um, you have nothing, Charles. To you, you'd, would you like to add on that or no? No. Very good. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so now we are going to get into the big word, which we we actually talk about a bit in the last show. And that was the word of mistress. Exactly. And since then, we learn a little bit more about the definition of that word. And so since would then you we like are, to walk us through that? Sure. Yeah. Since then, we're also seven days closer to the coronation. And so we are even more urgently needing to address the mistress. Correct. I think everyone knows exactly who we're talking about. But again, with what we always say, it, when we're having these conversations and really trying to understand a problem, to understand what are the terms we're even using to have that conversation, because there's sometimes there's meaning that uh, we kind of forget about just because we get so used to using those words. So it's important to examine the words themselves. So as we said last week, mistress, the primary definition actually is uh, a woman in a position of authority or control, which is super interesting because you wouldn't guess, you'd guess that the uh, the second definition is actually the primary, but it's really, that's the, the authority and control, mm -hmm. that our other word of the day. That's the primary definition. I mean, the, where it comes from, it comes from the word for master. So that's that's what it is. For master. And mm -hmm. only the second Definition. The second uh, most common use is when it comes to an extramarital sexual relationship, especially with a married man. Okay. What's interesting, though, where we built on from last week was digging into it a little bit further. Um, and also in the context of really trying to understand this relationship that Charles has, um, King Charles specifically, is <laughs> that sometimes the term mistress uh, is actually used and this is the for the, the PC warning for people who uh, are maybe a little bit more sensitive <laughs> to, to that sort of thing. This is a church, I know, but uh, is a term for the dominant sexual partner when female in a BDSM relationship. And huh. the thing that strikes you in that sense that, that to complete that definition is it's actually when it's of unequal power. So are we saying we are getting into 50 shade of gray is that is that the is that how i should look at it is that how i should understand it you you could you could certainly understandably go there yes okay but i think huh. that, that that idea anyway not so much the emphasis of of the context but just that nature of unequal power uh, i thought that was of it struck me that's anyway, extremely when, interesting when thinking about very very it. interesting yeah. 
Uh-huh. Wow. Okay, then. <clears throat> That's given me a lot to think about because this is the reason why we wanted to get back to this, get back to the word of mistress. It's because that, you know what, I feel like if we were going to talk about this woman, whom that I personally don't really know too much, and I know the stuff that's been talked about her, but I had not have been able to make an opinion because, you know, up to this point, you know, sort of I seen this woman, learn about this woman to the eyes of my mother, who was a very, very big fan of Princess Diana. And she really was hurt when their marriage, not only because the marriage fell and how that happened, the reason why that happened, and what's led to her death. And so, and having conversation with my mother and see through her eyes, and now that I am in the space that I am in, learning more, involved with more royal stuff. And, I mean, because of Meghan, of course, Princess Meghan, and Harry, which I've always loved for a very, very, very long time. And so now I think that, you know what, it's time for me to start paying attention. It's time for me to find out and have an understanding who is this woman. And I have no idea this woman would have been into the place that she found herself in. You know, I mean, it's almost like she was not even a question or thought because we were told what what she is, which is a mistress, and what she will be, you know, occupy or not occupy if, you know, Charles ever get into the throne. So it almost like, you know, I feel like she was, you know, a shadow, so to speak. But in the last couple months, and specifically after the Queen passed away, all of a sudden that, you know, we all, or maybe just me, facing the reality, this woman going to be Queen Consult, what does that mean? I believe she's in her 70s, right? Correct? I'm, if I'm not sure. Um, yes. She's in her 70s. This woman who, it's fair to say, after the passing of the queen, and it felt like all of a sudden I come to this, whoa, this woman is going to be queen consult, right? Um, Charles finally going to make it to the throne. What does that mean, actually? What does that mean for the world? What does that mean for the Commonwealth? Because we are in a mix of chaos. We are in a mix of bad public relations. And there certainly there is power and control that is happening, what does that mean? I started having questions. 
And the reality is, I don't know if many of us or if anybody think maybe it's just me thinking about it, is that when you looked at who she is, right? You looked at how she got there. It's incredible. And even if you take away everything bad, wrong, whether we agree, disagree, like her, don't like her, the accomplishment of this woman to have been in the game since in the 70s, even longer before even Diana. And now 30, 20, whatever, how long she is, I guess many people will say she beat everybody at the game. She proved everybody's wrong. She redefining the word of mistress. She is now is going to be as equal, in my opinion, of all other queens that have occupied this space before her. When, when you say equal, you mean that she's literally, technically, going to be in the same place. The same place. Not have that she's as role. good or anything you know, like that, but that access. she's... Exactly. She's got the same powers, the same rights, the same technical, you know, all of the stuff that comes with being in that position, because it's legitimately the same position. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and for me, it was just like, I, I was shaking, because I wanted to know, how did you do it? How did she get there? Knowing everything we know about the Royals. And as a kid of history that will love history. And knows all the drama. All the theater. How did this woman gone almost unnoticed? How did it happen? Who is she? I wanted to know. So... After the last show, and thank you, um, Sussex Crown Nation, for really commenting and giving your opinions. Please keep them going. And I started thinking, what, it, 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 did it happen before? Where can I, where, how can I find out about the strategy she used to get her into this space? And many times, history have a tendency to repeat itself. And so people can go into the past, find certain strategy, find, certain, find something relatable. And to be honest, I couldn't find much, really. I mean, you know, I went through, oh, my God. Um, let's see here. I went through Louis XIV just to look at all the mistresses there. You know, lead me to the Tudor times. And the closest, or maybe, I, I, maybe could explain a little bit of this, was Jane Boleyn. A little bit. But even if you, once you get in, into that history of who she is, certainly that woman is not her. Right? So then I went down and I couldn't find anything. Maybe it's because of time. Maybe sort of, you know, I don't know what was 
I couldn't find something that to say, okay, this is who she is. This is the plan. This is what she's doing. In Sussex White Nation, I even went into really every type of one, right? Just look at that atmosphere in that era. What was going on? Maybe I'm like, well, maybe they went a different direction. It certainly wasn't that. And I apologize for all the lovers of Evita and what she stand for, who she was, you know, sort of, you know, how she dealt with her husband and to get to where she was. And I mean, she's, this woman is well loved and so I'm sorry, but I needed to find out. I needed to know something that will explain. Okay, this is what you're looking at. Besides just the word mistress, who seems to be very acceptable in that world. Okay. And it's okay. But there was a limit. There was something being put. There was, it's almost like there's a cap. There was an understanding. This is who you are. This is what you do. This is the service that you know you are there for. To serve the king, whatever that means, in whichever way. That's that. You know your place. But we should be clear. We're not making a moral judgment against... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, as I've seen in the last show, right? I mean, there is a lot of reason why people choose to be in a relationship. And it is not up to me to judge. Um, and I sometimes feel like very, um, it's unfair that sometimes the women get blamed for everything, not the men. And so I get it. And I also understanding what John chapter eight, verse seven say. So when they continue ask him, he lift up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So it's not about me casting a stone at this woman because how she choose to live her life in terms of being a mistress. To Charles, especially, it was something very, you know, I mean, it was acceptable. In many court, the mistress and the, 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 the queens live in the same hassle. So I get it. But no, the reason that, you know, I'm bringing this up, it is because that this woman is about in my opinion, maybe maybe I don't know enough about history. Maybe I don't. But I feel like she is about to do something that's probably never done before, especially at her age. She's 55 days away? And she is 55 days away. And the impact, the impact of it, what does that mean for the people of England? What does that mean for the people of the Commonwealth? And so this is what we're going to talk today. Try to figure out how should we see it? How should we look at the strategy that got her there? How should we understanding the chaos really around everybody else but her? And what kind of control must she possess 
over the king and everyone else, including the media. Including herself. To get to this space. So this is what we're going to talk about. So, guys, please help me understand. And because I think that, you know, as we were looking, we were talking amongst ourselves with very little time that, you know, we have. And for me, I was doing research and I was working. I was doing all that all at one time. And that's tried to keep up also with what's happening with the Sussex Squad Nation, the Sussex Squad content creators. And I come across this documentary that I believe this is what they happened like it was 20 years ago I think yes yeah, it's, it's actually called Charles and Camilla into the unknown it was right. released in the early 2000s and just to give everyone just to, to set the context this is how at least it describes itself uh, if you were to go buy it on Amazon or eBay or something else and we're probably going to put it in the, 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 the we show will notes. we will but just so that, that they can hear kind of what it what it is uh, at least according to itself this revealing documentary examines the past present and future of a royal romance which has survived against all odds and again remember this is released in 2004 i think but what will the future bring for king queen and country queen being in quotes the marriage of charles and camilla is shrouded in controversy not least camilla's involvement in charles tragic marriage to princess diana and the possibility that one day she may become queen of england for the monarchy, the marriage is a step into the unknown. Will Camilla finally win a heart in the uh, place in the hearts of the British people, or will this newest royal, quote unquote, merely inflict further controversy on an already troubled institution? And that was back. That was twenty, almost twenty years ago. Wow. Wow. And what? How did she do it? How did she do it? As we were looking at the um, the documentary. What did you guys take away from it? Because they talk about several. Oh, they talked about everything. And I think, I mean, I don't know, Charles, your reaction, but I think for me watching it, uh, it is just like part of it, it felt very surreal. It felt very surreal to hear um, not only um, those who would have been supporters ostensibly of, of Diana, whether it was her um, her bodyguard or her personal secretary and how they spoke about what was going on at the time, but also even from Camilla's uh, camp, quote unquote, that her, her biographer was actually interviewed as well. And to hear all of them, what, how they were talking about it here, the, the Royal correspondence from the daily express, from the daily mirror, to see the language that they were using, the way that they were talking about it. And to compare that in the moment to what we are seeing today, it was honestly, it was surreal. Yeah. For me is that one of the thing is, this documentary, I feel like, was in line with my questions. I'm not so sure I have answers, but I feel like I have more questions. <laughs> give us, give us more, more questions, more, more questions. Right? I mean, I have questions about why the Queen Hens was forced to upset her some way. I definitely feel the Queen's hand was forced. I think. We can see over the period of the last three or four years that she's been snookered more than once. Uh, she has been pushed by Prince Charles and his uh, courtiers into doing things that she would prefer not to do. She was forced to meet Camilla Parker Bowles at a party at Highgrove, which Charles gave. She didn't want to do it, 
but uh, Prince Charles said, you don't do that, and I don't come to the Queen Mother's 100th birthday. The Queen does not accept Camilla Parker Bowles, and that is a problem for the future. And why is that the Queen, when Diana went to her for help, she refused? However, there is one area where she might have done things differently. We now know through videotapes made in Diana's lifetime that she went to the Queen to seek help over Charles and Camilla, but the Queen refused to interfere. How did that happen? Why did, you know, Diana, which everyone, you know, sort of thought that, you know, she was the best thing that ever happened to the royal, with this woman, the contrast, right? The, this woman, who really in some way could have bought the monarchy down. Camilla. Camilla. Somehow had people come to her rescue, stand for her, and fight for her. I mean, even, even how did that happen? Even just go back to the beginning of what you just said. The, this, that phrase, the fact that the queen's hand was forced. What? <laughs> what does that mean? How does that even happen? How, that how did that, the queen, for everything that you know, she's in charge. She's been reigning for seventy years. So I, I didn't get that part. That left me with a lot of questions. I even goes into, wait a minute here. I mean. A few months before the queen passed away, right? And again, she makes supposedly, allegedly, make this announcement about accepting her as queen consort because she wasn't supposed to be. We didn't know then that that was going to be probably one of her last statement, right? How did that happen? I mean, th this was 20, 20 years ago. They're saying the queen's hand was forced and that she progresses 20 more years in age. And it seems even more likely to your point that the situations arising over the last few years before she passed away. Why would, why would anyone expect that she wasn't having her hand forced if she was having her hand forced 20 years ago? But you also really, really Charles can, can, can you say something in that? Overall, I mean, it was an interesting, it was an interesting film because I mean, it it supports a lot of what we had spoke about last week. Um, it did certainly generate a lot of questions. Um, from my own perspective, some of the bigger questions, I mean, as you guys kind of um, alluded to, is the fact that obviously, you know, was she more powerful than the queen? Like, how did that actually happen? For whatever reason, um, she got her way. So. Uh, the question is, how did that actually go down and, and, and what's really about it? Something that was actually very interesting to me uh, that kind of pulled out of the film was, is this even legal? I, I, I think before you get into that, we should let them hear that particular eclipse that we are talking about. Well, there's, there's, there's two things for me when you talk about, is she more powerful than the queen is the queen's hand being forced and there's there's all of these these clips in this documentary with people that you would not expect to be saying that actually articulating that that is very much the case whether it's camilla's biographer the royal correspondence and at the same point if you combine this with the fact that they're also saying at the same time that the so-called royal protocols mm-hmm don't well, really that we matter. Know, that we know. I mean, that's coming from from the reporters themselves say that, you know, it, it's all made up. It's all made up. And so at the, you're hearing two things. You're hearing that 
she the queen's having her hand forced and there's not actually royal protocols that they need to follow the great thing about the royal family is they make it up as they go along they can do anything they want what they like to do is they like to cite precedent and uh, if they want to do something and it hasn't been done recently they can say oh it's done in henry viii's time it's done in queen victoria's time if they haven't uh, got a precedent then they just make it up and say oh well that's how it should be anyway. Uh, and the great thing is, really, that they get away with murder simply because uh, they want to. And uh, it's very interesting to see how inventive they can be with their own rules. They follow it if they want to. If they need to invoke something that happened a couple hundred years ago, they do that. Or if it hasn't, they just invent it and as they go. And that's coming from the, you know, the press that who are now completely disarmed and dismantled now. And the same press is now it's letting us to believe all these about sort of protocols in and how megan is is breaking these protocols in yeah. all this it's all made up but if that's the case if that's the case if the queen's having her hand forced if the protocols are made up who's in charge <laughs> exactly i and i really would like to hear you charles because you always didn't, you didn't finish your thought um you know previously before the the clip so i would like to hear you know what you're thinking no, just what I was saying is the fact that um, what I found most interesting is that uh, perhaps this whole thing is not even legal. So if you go back through and you um, take a look at it, there's actually two different acts that they actually referenced that state specifically that a civil ceremony and a civil marriage actually um, cannot happen between monarch. So and it's like it's it's codified in law. Charles's civil wedding problems go back to 1836, when Queen Victoria was still heir to the throne. In 1840, the young queen married her German cousin, Prince Albert, in a religious service at the Chapel Royal at St. James's Palace. Group Captain Peter Townsend and Princess Margaret were prevented from marrying in a civil ceremony by the 1836 Act and by a later one. There are various laws governing marriages of the royal family. Um, we go back to the 1836 Marriage Act, the, the 1949 Marriage Act, which both appear very, very clearly to prevent members of the royal family from marrying in civil ceremonies. There's a danger that, that if this law isn't tested now in court, then future members of the royal family run the risk of getting married illegally, and their spouses losing rights of inheritance. Unless the government changes the law now, somebody is going to prove that that marriage is illegal. It is legally contentious, and I'm afraid that's going to go into the history books. And for better or worse, and I fear it may be for worse, when people look back uh, on, this, on this whole episode, the fact that it was legally dubious is going to be one of the things that they notice and, and uh, don't like. Charles took advice from Britain's Lord Chancellor over the legality of a civil wedding. He was told that human rights legislation overturned previous laws banning the royal family from having civil weddings. So if this is being the case, then, okay, well then why and how and the fact that actually the Queen completely ditched her own son's wedding um, and chose not to go to it because of it was such a, a dubious thing. And then in the end, how... Charles actually um, decides to defend himself and to defend his decision and, and, and do the way that he did is actually using something called uh, the Human Rights Act. 
Right. And the Human Rights Act actually is something that one year prior to his getting married, he actually completely bashed it in the press and against the Lord Chancellor. So it's this whole thing is what you guys were referencing earlier about they just kind of do whatever they want. They make up the rules as they go. And it's on clear display. And it's not even just in kind of their, you know, their personal lives, but even within law that they're just completely manipulating and, and choosing to follow the rules and make up rules as they go in order to kind of, um, again, uh, do what it is that they like. This, this, this is the thing that, you know, what was troubling me. What is it about her that make her worth all the trouble, everything? Is there a theater in play here? I mean, the last thing that you said about what mistress, mistresses, me, is about control, right? Having unequal control, power. Yeah. Unequal power. The question is how much power she had over Charles for everything we believe that we know about Charles that who's been in waiting to be king for a very, very long time and was willing to lose it all for this woman. What is it about this particular woman? Because, I mean, you guys know this is, was not his first mistress. He did have another mistress. Well, bef with, before, you even yeah. go, before you even go to the other mistress, because that, that is so important. Because if you follow this thread of, of how we've, we've talked about it so far, we know the queen's being overruled. <laughs> we know that they're, they're not following royal protocol. They're making up royal protocol as they go. And to what Charles just said, not only are they kind of uh, ditching royal protocol as it relates to Camilla, they're also literally breaking the law. So someone, the, the head of the state's not in charge. <laughs> they're not following their own rules. They're not even following the, the state's rules. And to what you're just saying just now, Lady Sussex, it's doing it all at the same time as putting at risk Charles's own reputation. I don't think that Charles is impelled by a sense of duty to marry Camilla. I think this is something that he has devoutly wished for many, many years. It's he alone, and against a great deal of opposition from courtiers, from the Queen, from Prince Philip, who's been steamrolling through uh, this idea that he could actually marry Camilla and get away with it. Now, we still have to see whether this gamble is going to come off because a great proportion of the British public are really undecided as to whether this is going to be a good move or not. In the last 20 years, the British royal family has survived some pretty catastrophic events and they have all in different ways uh, put that future under threat. I think by marrying Camilla, Charles hopes that he is going to secure the future of the royal family. I'm afraid I can't agree with him. I think that by marrying Camilla, Charles is taking the royal family into dangerous new territory. Camilla is going to become the most senior woman in the country after the Queen. That's a heck of a jump for a mistress, for somebody who only, within, within very recent memory, was an extremely unpopular figure, given her role, her central role, in breaking up Charles and Diana's marriage, which was, after all, the cornerstone of the Windsor's future. When we're talking about public relations. He's he's doing all of those things. He's steamrolling, as they said in the documentary, all of the, the courtiers, all of the advisors, everyone else in the royal family to, to push this woman to this position at the expense of his own reputation at the risk of the entire monarchy itself. Like that is crazy. That's honestly crazy. That that is that is why 
I don't really get it. And I'm trying to, again, what is it about her? Because for everything we know of her, almost nothing. What is it about? What exactly? And I think the what to your point, watching this documentary gave us probably more questions than we had than answers. But one of the things that at least came to me, and and we've been talking about it before the service started, is there is so much uh, obvious, so many obvious examples of. Camilla's ability to be strategic, to use self-control, to use chaos when it suits her, and to be able to play the long game to have an understanding of what does public relations even mean. Camilla Parker Bell is in a very different situation. Uh, I think probably she must aim to attract acceptance and maybe in the far distant future uh, affection too. But right now, even attracting acceptance is going to be a tough call. It's going to require a lot of things to go right, and it's going to require her to come across to the British people and to the wider world as a, a worthy successor. The Queen did not condone Camilla's conduct. The couple adopted a strategy of appearing together at events for his own charities, such as the Prince's Trust. Camilla will be in the Royal Carriage Parade at Ascot Races each summer. She has to be seen as part of the family so that she is accepted as princess consort when Charles is king. And, and for me, you see what she was doing at the beginning, from the very beginning, with how she managed Diana to, and we'll get into it, how she managed to kick out, to boot out the, the other mistress, even though the other mistress was forming an alliance with, with What was Diana. her name again, the mistress? Dale? It was Dale... Dale Tryon? I think I'm saying it right. I don't know. Um, but the, this and this is a, a, the, the Shrek for reference I wanted to bring in for anyone else who loves Shrek like me, is that this woman is like an onion, and she's like an ogre. And there's all the double entendres you want to take from that. But I, what I mean right now is that there are layers. There are so many layers to the way that she approached this whole situation. And, and the strategy that she's put forward. Because from the very beginning, these literally these royal correspondents, Camille's own biographer, they're admitting to this strategy that she deployed all the way back at least as far as 20 years ago for how to manage themselves, how to manage building her own reputation. And and we'll get into I mean, even the fact that that's kind of what, what Harry puts a, a fine point on it in his in his book and, and when, he, when he talked about it in the interview. But it's, it's honestly, it was... It was just struck me as someone who has exceedingly high levels of self-control to be able to understand how to navigate in the long term. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the the thing is, it's very obviously now we are understanding. We have a little bit understanding, or at least we try to see what it take place in order for her to get where she's at. When you looked at all the chaos that's happening around all the royals at the moment, right? And somehow, at this moment right now that you know we are in, if we are trying to get into the strategy, I mean, obviously we are speculating. We are, we don't know that is the case. But at least for us or for me, what making sense, when you looked at the chaos around 
every each one of the royals, right? The fact is that, you know, Charles decided it somehow that he was going to slam down the monarchy, which I don't know what that means because they're still getting paid. They're still like you. Uh, I'm thinking that for that kind of power they are, the more of them out doing the work, doing, you know, supposedly good work, doing charity work. So w what is it that you are slamming down? Is the money is going to slim down too because they are still under that umbrella. So what does that even mean and why? Right? And when you looked at, you know, the chaos in the press, when you looked at the chaos, you know, sort of surrounding his brother, you started looking at where, like, you hear nothing about Anne, so you don't know what's happening. We know that she's supposedly the hardest working royal, but we're not hearing, nobody's covering her, there's nothing is happening. You have the Wessex, it's pretty much like there is a lot of chaos around them, and then now they wheel them back on. And it's like, who are they? What are they doing? Why she hate Meghan Markle? I don't know. It's like there's all these things that's happening, and you have no explanation for it. But there is one person, one person that seems to be dressed like escape it at all it's her and i will dare to say that you know what even last week or prior when charles was getting eggs thrown at him or booing just recently and somehow they wasn't really booing at her they wasn't throwing eggs at her it was mainly to 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 charles they wasn't saying not my queen they were saying not my king how should we look at this, guys? How should we understand that? How is she's able to emerge or emerging so clean, almost untouched, mm -hmm. amongst of the whole chaos that's happening? How should we look at it? Because in very short time, this woman is going to have a power she has never had before. She's going to occupy whether you like her, you hate her. You know, she's going to be a month of greatest. She's going to be buried a month of greatest. She's going to inherit wealth that she never had before since the little bit that, you know, her great grandmother left her. She's going to be able to pass that wealth into her kids and her grandkids. She's going to take Occupy a space in history. She's going to be the mistress of mysteries of all. So how should we look at this? How should we view it? How should we understand it? Mm -hmm. Well, I think to, to what you were just saying, the how it, all of this seeming chaos, and like we said at the beginning, that definition of it, it appears to be random when maybe it's not random. This chaos in in the press and how all of the other royals are depicted and, and spoken about by the, the tabloids. And you compare that to how Camilla is not. I mean, and we could show the headlines from what they were saying 20 years ago and the dramatic difference between that and now. But at the same point, you look at her own actions. And there's this one um, uh, author that was interviewed in the in the documentary. And I'll we'll, we'll play the, the clip uh, just so you can hear it. 
the whole thing about having a royal family is that they pay their dues, they work for their living, they earn their living by doing good deeds, by helping charitable organisations. And Camilla does virtually nothing like that. She does a little bit of help for the Osteoporosis Society, but she's not seen to be helping anybody except herself. She basically says that Camilla doesn't do anything for any charities, and she only seemingly serves herself. That's right. And you say, oh, wow, what a terrible person. How bad is she as a royal? And then you kind of move on. But if you stop and you think about it in the context of this bigger strategy that she's been playing, clearly, you say, wow, actually, that makes a lot of sense for her to do. Because what she does by avoiding getting involved in all of the charities, having the same footprint, having the same outreach and all the work, it keeps her out of the public eye. And more importantly, it keeps her out of the potential space of appearing to be competing with Diana. Camilla is reluctant to be compared to Diana with her extraordinary appeal. So far, Camilla has adopted only a limited charity profile. She will never be someone who undertakes an awful lot of royal duties, someone who is constantly in the newspapers. She will try anyway to be somebody who is in the background, just supporting her husband and getting along very quietly. Because she could never have actually competed with Diana. She could never have actually filled those same shoes. And if she had tried to, or if it looked like she was trying to, the backlash against her would have been that much worse. That backlash is far worse than just someone saying, oh, she doesn't do enough charity work. But I don't think she cares. That's I don't think she is in the game for that. I don't think she... In fact, I, I, you know, I will argue one of the reasons why that she choose not to be Princess of Wales, not taking that title, I'm not so sure it was about... You know, I mean, they say she said, I don't know. I wasn't there. I was in the room. I'm not a part of her strategist, right? That, you know, somehow it's because of Diana she didn't do that. I am just saying, is it maybe because that, you know what, everyone upset Diana as Princess of Wales. Everyone loved Diana. And it was for her, she's like, oh, Yeah. Well, that's all she's going to ever be because me, I'm going to be the queen. Exactly. I think I'm that's looking exactly at a caddy like that. I, no, I think that's I'm exactly right. I'm looking at it like that. Exactly I'm looking right. at her said, you know what? Okay, she could be Princess of Wales. Because if you think about this woman, in my opinion, managed to control Diana, control Dale t- trying, I believe, you know, that relationship, even though they claim that they say that it's because she had big mouth, she was talking too much, giving too much information. But based on everything that we are learning now, Charles was in love with her too. And if you are listening to this clip here, I guess we should let them hear that clip. Camilla knew exactly how to win Charles for herself. She only had to wait for Diana to make a mistake. Who exactly was Camilla's fierce enemy? You have this unspoken but incredibly bitter rivalry between these two women for the heart and soul of the Prince of Wales. End 
How did she and Diana become allies against Camilla? The message was loud and clear. Diana and Dale had joined forces. Her name was Lady Dale Tryon, an Australian socialite married to an English gentleman. To become the mistress of the Prince of Wales, of course, was wonderfully powerful. Everybody would defer to you, everybody would look up to you. Charles apparently had a thing for married women. It's well known in um, royal circles that if you're going to have an affair with a woman, make sure she's married. Make sure she's got more to lose than you have. In most cases, their husbands knew of the affairs. An English gentleman will always lay down his wife for his country, and uh, this was certainly true in the case of Andrew Parker Bowles. Uh, in 1979, there was very little pretense about the intensity of the relationship between Prince Charles uh, and Camilla. Camilla was Charles's first great love. And, of course, his first exciting mistress. Under the cover of royal engagements, Camilla turned up regularly. Charles's relationship with a married woman was acceptable in royal circles. But when Dale Tryon came onto the scene, Charles quickly grew infatuated with her. And by 1974, Dale had overtaken Camilla to become his favourite. Camilla could not stand her new rival. She was very worried uh, when she saw Dale hove into sight. The gloves were off and Camilla would need nerves of steel to stay in the game. When Diana finally confronted her new husband, his startling reply was almost unthinkable. He said, well, I refused to be the Prince of Wales and never had a mistress. So, what did she do? I think Diana in the end, came to realise that Camilla was the main opposition, that she was the enemy. And on the basis of my enemy's enemy is my friend, she could see that there was some purpose in having an alliance with Dale. That alliance, however, was perfect for Dale. Being Diana's friend not only brought great publicity, but also secured her place back in Charles's life. But... It all came crashing down for Dale. Charles made an unthinkable public confession. Did you try to be faithful and honourable to your wife when you took on the vow of marriage? Yes, until it became irretrievably broken down. Diana had no doubt why her marriage was broken down. Do you think Mrs Parker Bowles was a factor in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. And Dale also helped orchestrate her own downfall. She loved to divulge Charles's secrets to the press. I think that turned Charles slightly against her in that she became too showy, too, too flamboyant totally in contrast to Camilla. As Charles's marriage failed, he turned not to Dale, but to the ever-discreet Camilla. Dale's years spent courting journalists backfired. Did Charles realise the damage his confession caused? He didn't think at all about what impact this would have on his own children, let alone the Parker Bowles children. All sorts of people were involved who he didn't think of. Diana, on the other hand, did think of her children. Diana never wanted a divorce. Quite categorically, a separation 
yes, not a divorce. Diana saw the damage a divorce can bring on the family. She didn't want it to bring that to William and Harry's door. Charles's stark confession had a terrible ripple effect. So now you guys understand that the strategy is she had to put a stop on that. It makes me question now. Is it possible she kind of like, you know, come in and tell Charles everything? Say, this is what this woman is doing. This is what this woman is doing, whatever the case is, you know. I don't know, but it's like I'm just trying to make sense of it all because she was in control at all time. The fact is, is that woman was having conversation with Charles on his honeymoon with Diana. I mean, that one really hurt. It hurts. I mean, the, the press like to say is because that, you know, she represents that mother figure. I mean, I don't know what that mean. What does that mean, actually? And if she is that mother figure, then that will explain a part of, you know, the control part, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the biographer, the, the in the interview, in the documentary, they, they said it themselves. They described Charles as somebody who flounders, um, somebody who can't make a decision. That is exactly the kind of person that can be manipulated by someone who understands how to wield control, understands how to wield chaos, and and can actually position themselves to be, as you said, whether it's the press describing it as a mother figure or, or whatever it is, to be able to actually control them. She clearly is somebody who is very well suited for Charles. People who meet her say that she is very good at putting them at their ease. She's a very strong, steady person. And I think Charles is somebody who needs constant reassurance. Absolutely, because and, 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 and I, when I started looking what they did to a beautiful princess, Meghan Markle, and all, all the things that they were throwing at her, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is probably the person maybe they should have been throwing these things at? Probably would be no. Even back then, I didn't even feel like they were saying really bad, horrible things. Do you understand what I mean? To her, it's like again what Megan said. There's a difference of being rude, and there's another difference of just you know completely being racist and being everything that they have been you know to her. Because and I started thinking in the mix of the chaos, right? How much control this woman have over Harry's brother Williams and his wife? How does she play the role there? How do we explain the back and forth fight that is happening in the papers? The fact that very recently that they put a picture of William's wife, like, looking really old. The fact is, is that, you know, you're looking at the so-called competition, not competition between Kate and Meghan. Meghan, there's, I, I don't see anyone in the royal family that can compete with this woman at any level. Definitely. Not, not her intellect, not in fashion, not in her beauty, 
So, character. So there's an, or her character, what she stands for, who she is. It doesn't really matter what you throw at her. It's almost like bounce back right in your face. So we have this, like, you know what? Well, if Megan wear it, I'll wear it too. If Megan do it, I'll do it too. But not the do it part because she has not done anything, right? And that is not good for her image as soon to be a whole, if she ever make it into be queen. Right? And when you looked at Williams, for everything she stand or not stand for, he's getting weaker. How do you build him and that new generation that will see things different? Our generation, the generation that will see things very different. How do you build him to become our king one day? Because he has been waking every single day. Who did that? Who is doing that? Who is behind, you know, sort of, you know, um, his wife? Who is behind Williams? In some ways, I feel like there is a mole in the court that keep making them doing bad things. Because if you're thinking about, you know, some of the stuff Harry say, the fact that, you know, he did not want to, they had this, this thing between them. Okay, we will never sort of talk about each other like that. We'll, we'll not put things out there. And yet, he broke that promise. And it's almost that when sometimes I'm listening to Harry, right? Spite of everything, spite of everything we read in the book, right? Everything that we've seen that they have done to him. It's almost like there is a pity. There is a love for his father. Because I feel like he knows something that we don't know. And I, you could see, spite of everything that his brother have done, there is a love, there is a sort of, almost a feeling sympathy for him, how he speak about him. Make me wonder that he knows something that we don't, because you know that what he said was that, you know what, he have over like maybe he 400 pages. A whole other book. That's right, could be a whole of another book, which in my opinion, he was sending a signal to them. And to your point, it makes you wonder who's in, in William's court that's not actually paying attention. Is it that they're not paying attention? Or is it that, you know what, it's filled with sort of people that are only in his court to disarm him, not let him get in close to his brother? Because let, 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 let's, let's make something very clear here. And I think that's something, whether you're haters, whether you're, you know, I mean, this is something we do, squad, we, we know, you know, I mean, Harry did not just become smart just because he met Meghan Markle, right? Harry was already very, extremely, really smart. I think what Harry didn't have is the confidence. And how could he, when you are in a space where everybody is just kind of like at you, at you, 24-7, making you doubt yourself, right? Make you not believe in yourself. But I'll tell you what he did right. Through it all, he was the only person that was out there doing a lot of good things. And he became popular for them. Everybody was able to see. Everybody was able to find himself 
related to him. Through it all, he kind of like, you know, sort of as many moves that he make was the right move that lead to today. And I think once he find his lifetime partner, it's like the store was online. It was, okay, this is, this is the person that I could carry the touch with. This is the person that, you know, I mean, I feel like that's going to believe in me because at that moment, not having your mother, right? Not having your mother there with you and everyone else that's there, they're only there to break you down and tell you that you are nothing. You are not smart. You're not, you know, you're only there for one purpose, one purpose to be a spare. That is something that can break someone's confidence, right? No matter how smart you are. And I, and I do believe they recognize that smartness. They recognize that, you know, what, she, what he brought into the table. And I don't think they were going to let the two brothers ever be together, ever be supportive as they could have been. Because could you imagine with that smart, whether William is smart or not, I don't know. Could you imagine if William, if they, the two of them understanding who they are, what happened to them after the mother, it's gone, and who they were going to be, and that they were going to need each other. That would have been a power. And I think that, you know, it, in my opinion, many people in Charles Court and Carmela Court understand that and I feel like looking at what's happening around all the chaos they had to break it down they had to break it down and when I looked at what they are doing to William's wife I don't know how she could fight through this power I don't know the space where we women are entering right now what we're representing, the places where we try to go. Can she be a model for a woman like myself? Can her silence be the only thing that she got to offer? I don't know. I don't think I'm articulate things the way I would have liked to, but I'm trying to have an understanding. Go beyond just like, you know what? Okay, these people are horrible and everything that they've done is horrible. Everything that they've done is bad and it is. But I'm trying to look at it is, is that, you know what? What are we looking at now? Are we looking at through the chaos to everything that is happening? Somehow we are about to change the royal household. Because when you looked at what this balcony, the balcony. Buckingham Palace holds a unique place in Britain's heart. Its balcony is a focus for national rejoicing. The Queen's grandparents appeared there, so did her parents. At the end of the war, Churchill was there. On the Queen's wedding day and after her coronation, all the royal family were there. When Prince Charles married Lady Diana Spencer, they took their place on the palace balcony. Now, a more controversial couple are set for balcony parades. The queen that had reigned for 70 years, I've stood up. Her mother, 
her father. Who these people were, what, what that space have we presenting, what we have come to understand these people are, to now we're going to have Kamala standing up in that balcony with her family that who, in my opinion, have not vetted, who doesn't seem to have any sort of bad things about them. There's nobody trashing them in the press. Not that I'm asking or advocating people should. Right? How that going to look? And if you looked at on the side of Charles, if his family are there, what are those family now representing with everything's going on around them, the chaos? It feels like almost so old, right? So are we looking at in just a few days, sorry about that, I knocked the microphone. In few days, are we going to look at the new royal family, the new, like, Please helping me. Please well, think, knock me down and say, Lady Sussex, you, you, you just, you just, you just, you just lose something. You're reading too many, you know, books. Maybe you're seeing things. Maybe because of the lack of sleep, you're in caffeine. What is going on with you? Where are you going with this? But I'm asking the question, are we about to see a new, not Windsor, because the Windsor is, you know, sort of, I mean, there's really not much beside Harry, you you know, and, and Meghan. Or really, that's killing it. Or showing what being a royal or that position should be about. When you looked at everybody else, they feel dated. They feel old. They feel like they have nothing to offer. And now you are looking at this woman who probably people are going to start saying, I'm thinking... Quite a strong woman. She survived it all. What an incredible mother. Looked at her kids. Maybe we should start paying attention to them. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I need to have an understanding. What is it that, you know, we are now witnesses? What is it that we are about to witness? Well, I think you're, in my thinking, I think we all share the same opinion and, and thought process, uh, at least in, in this room right now is that it's not, it was never about going and saying how bad Charles is or how bad William is or how, how mumbly Kate is. It's yeah. Not because about, we know <clears throat> that, that, you know, Charles is not going to win the father of the year that we know. Yeah. It's never been about that. It's really been about trying to ask the question to see what is it that's really actually going on here. When you look at the movement when you look at the chaos when you look at the control when you look at the state of the public relations amongst all of them what is it that's actually happening to your, to your point in 55 days what is that going to actually mean and one of the things that like absolutely i think the thing that floored me most out of the entire documentary is something that wasn't even given voice it wasn't even it wasn't even uh articulated out loud in the documentary it was just a headline that showed up and it was after um, they were talking about after Paul Burrell's uh, case got dismissed. 
And it was this, right. and is what the oh what, my god what that the, scares me. Yeah, and it's that's really scares me. It's crazy, and it and it, but it ties very specifically to what we're trying to figure out today. Is like what's actually I happening? Th- Who's I behind should, it? I think we should let you pay attention to the newspaper. Oh, put it up on the screen, and we'll pay attention just, to yeah. what it says in the newspaper. And you see right there, the queen herself. Me. The queen herself is saying that there is a for a greater force at work in this country. That scares me. Like literally, I I, I kid you not. I start double, <laughs> double like my dogs. <laughs> I'm like what, what? I yeah. And you think, okay, well, if that if the queen is saying that, take that assume just for a hypothetical sake that sake that she's what she's saying is true what does that then mean when under trying to understand the dynamics of what's happening today it certainly makes a whole lot of things seem uh, less coincidental it certainly makes the fact that camilla stays completely out of the press almost entirely and certainly very few negative things at all while all of the focus is about megan and harry right makes that seem not accidental makes it seem not accidental that the windsors are divided Fighting amongst themselves, weakened reputations. You're looking at everything that is happening. And so all these things happening, all those things, all the chaos. And when you looked at the what's happening in the country itself, in the island, the, 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 the suffrage that is happening, and you looked at these people and you're like, okay, what are they representing? But now if they incarnation, right, and they present you a different thing. Because as much I know very little, maybe I need to do a little bit more research about her kids. They they work they working folks, you know. I even watch an interview where they feel like you know there was not you know they didn't feel like royal, they didn't feel like they accepted, they didn't feel like. But at the same token, we are hearing that you know what? Hey, they already have the next Harry. Of course, there's never going to be another Harry. It could, could be that person, whoever he is, going to be himself. But there's not going to be another Harry. But the fact is, is that, you know, they try to like, oh, there will be the next Harry. They start moving into the direction. Why should we expect it? Because if you looked at the people that is around Kamala, those people that would come out after Meghan and Harry, it's starting raising another questions for me. And I think that in the video, maybe we should play, it's about the Commonwealth. Whether or not there is a walk away from the whole thing because they are moving a different direction. Is that the reason why that, you know, they did not allow Megan to be able to represent the Commonwealth? Because we all say how stupid and as dumb that is. But if the point is, is no longer worry about the Commonwealth, right? Now we all worry about the, the very wealthy and the powerful and the, you know, sort of, you know, the, 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 the European side of it. So you can understand why Megan is a problem. I think we should let them hear this to them, for themselves. Uh, but I know that Prince Charles uh, is not as enthusiastic about his Commonwealth duties as his mother is. And I think it's a matter of great regret that uh, the, the future of the British monarchy seems to be turning its, its attention rather more towards Europe 
than towards the uh, the remaining bits of the of the world which look to Buckingham Palace uh, for uh, for a lead for a symbolic head. So this is where we are right now. Fifty five days. And I don't hear anybody ask the question about the accomplishment. If you, you know, want to see that it's an accomplishment to beat the mistress, to beat, you know, the princess of Wales, to beat the queen, the queen, to beat the media, the law, to beat the law as we know it, allegedly. All these things we are alleging is based on what we are hearing from that documentary, right? To totally in control, not just Charles, but even the courtiers and everybody that's make way for her reign now to be possible. So I think it is important that now we have an understanding because this is going to be a share equal power. We cannot believe them anymore when they say, oh, it's not going to be the case. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be this because we have here all of it before. And they literally admit that they make it up as they go. <laughs> there's, exactly. There's nothing to accept. So I'm, I'm almost wondering, is it her or is it Charles that's going to be in power? I have to ask the question. The, the question for me is why is William not asking that question? Seriously. No, but, 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 but this is what's happening now. I actually think we cannot count the winters out yet. And I'll tell you why. Because I think people, I'm thinking, that's my thinking, my view. Not that I know anything <laughs> besides what I read in, you know, sort of, you know, looking at, um, in that, um, or YouTube research. YouTube research. <laughs> Not just YouTube. You know, we actually really go out and try That's to true. do as much as we can. Because you never know what you can believe or not believe. It's true. You know, that's why we'll ask people anything that we are saying here. You go and you do your own research. You should not take our, this is our perspective, our opinions. But wh what I am thinking is, I think people are looking at the Windsors I'm talking about. Starting with asking, oh boy, we need to make some more. And I think they are following the lead of Harry and Meghan. Because Harry all along, maybe not long, but maybe a very short time, that have been playing, you know, sort of, well, I'll, I'll take it back. I think Harry have been playing the art of war for a very long time. And I think now he's starting implementing things very like in your face now. If you think of the book, you think of all the interviews, what was saying, the stuff that is saying. And when you think about what just happened this week and him said, oh, okay, you're not going to call my son, your grandson, your granddaughter, you're not going to give them the title that, that, that they're entitled to? You're not going to do it? Well, I'm going to do it for you. And did it. And dared them to do anything about it. Now they have to listen. 
right? That was a power move. That was an art of war. Say that, you know what? There's something is happening. Because I don't believe, have they waited after the coronation? I don't think it would happen. I truly believe that. I truly believe that it would not happen. And I didn't think they think he could do it as they have been doubting him before. And I think he understands that. I think he knows something that we don't know. I think he's like, okay, I'm going to do it for you if we can do it. And I think right now there is confusion on what to do. And I think people are following his footsteps. Because we heard there was a couple royals upset about the fact of what happened with the cottage. But no one ever investigated and talked who were those royals, why they were mad. I have a question there. Even Andrew is making his move based on what's reported. And now there's buzzing about Anne. I feel like they themselves starting understanding what is happening and the small thing that is happening. The fact that the Wessex, something that granted to them that they should have that, that title long ago. The Queen should have, you know, sort of could have done it. And I think Royal Sussex a wonderful baron did an amazing job on that. And now all of a sudden they had that title. Why didn't they have it before? So one of the great ironies of this whole thing, depending on how it plays out, one of the great ironies will be the fact that Harry and Meghan are the ones that actually saved the rest of them. Ha! I actually think that's what's happening. I think that's why there is... Because that's why... In my opinion, everything we are not seeing, we are seeing. Like, I feel like there is something happening. There is something, it's happening. Something is going on. And I think we're going to have to pray. Definitely have to pray. And I think there's there's, um, what we were talking about. And I think Harry's done this brilliantly and you look at his his entire life how he's translated the hate the evil the nonsense all of the bad things that were thrown at him and how he's been able to actually transform that into some things that are incredibly positive um to share that whatever that force is that the queen referenced this bigger force that's operating in the country whatever it is that's uh, actually directing the events to happen the way they are why camilla's in the position that she's in the fact of the matter is, whatever they're trying to do, whatever that evil is, that it is actually going to be turned around. It is going to be made into a good thing. Charles, we have not heard from you at all. Please, can you put a one, two, three cents into the madness? Because I think I talk so much today. Well, from my own perspective, um, what I think kind of sums it up for me is I think about what is the purpose of the monarchy. And I think the general point today, anyway, of the current monarchy is to be about stability. 
their role, as I see it, is to be a stabilizing force for society, the British society, so that they can emulate, feel good, have direction, give them a compass. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and it referenced as such actually in, um, in this documentary, is that when Camilla actually was interjected into the mix and Diana and the divorce and just the whole way that it went down, because it was just very shady. The whole situation was just very shady about how they even went about it. When all this kind of came out into the public, and Charles actually admitted it on television, it's uh, the respectability and the stability of the institution started to fall to pieces. And then other things became to gave way. So then you have, um, you know, Princess uh, Princess Anne, I believe, actually, you know, she got divorced. And then there was a whole, like, just the litany, the whole family basically started getting divorced and started getting fractures. And then all of a sudden what this is, is that there was kind of this cascading domino effect of where the stability of the crown itself and the stability of the institution actually was being called into question. And I think one of the great things of what Harry and Meghan was able to do is that they were able to, at least the way that I see it anyway, is that they were actually a stabilizing factor because all of a sudden there's fresh blood. There's Mm -hmm. something they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Maybe that can give us hope Mm -hmm. that it can evolve, that it can change with the times, that it's not this old relic that we don't need anymore because what they actually did a, a survey and 20 years ago when they actually first came out with this movie or the documentary, uh, they did the survey, and the survey said that basically at the time, people over 40 were the only ones that actually took the monarchy seriously. Anyone under 40 basically said they were basically celebrities. They don't really have any true meaning in my life. I don't have to take them seriously. We should let them hear this part. I think it's an important point that you're making. I think the public are very cynical about the royal family. I think the image of them has deteriorated year by year for the last 15 or 20 years. There are too many people who really don't trust Prince Charles at all and I don't think they want him as the king. People under 40 think the Queen and other members of the royal family, they're just celebrities like Michael Jackson or Robbie Williams and there's a soap opera going on and they quite interested every now and then to see what the latest instalment of the soap opera is. For people over 40, um, they they still generally take the monarchy quite seriously and it's those people in particular, I think, who've been upset by the prospect of a future king getting married to a woman whose adultery with Charles helped cause the breakdown of the marriage to Diana. So, yeah. So with that being said, now, basically, those people are of age, right? And so if the people actually before them and those people who are 40 at the time or younger, they are now basically make up the vast majority of the population. So you have the vast majority of the population that feel that these people actually don't represent themselves anymore. They don't represent the country. They don't represent them. They don't represent any kind of monarchy. And that monarchy actually doesn't have any real stability in their lives or any meaning in their life. So you have this situation now. And then you have to start asking the question, well, then what is the monarchy for? And so 
again, and then I think this is kind of a broader question. Then you have the Commonwealths that are starting to split off. You have Jamaica, and then you have Australia is already talking about it. You have others that basically, you know, this bigger question starts coming into being. And the reason why, I believe, is that there's less and less relevance that they actually hold for people. And if you look back and you keep going back, 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 when did this actual fray start to happen? Um, it could be postulated. It could be assumed. It could be speculated that the unraveling may have been Charles not being able to handle the relationship with Diana and then basically the fracture thereafter. But how there could was he... no real moral value. They didn't provide the stability of saying this is what and how people should behave. This is basically, you know, someone that you should emulate and then look up to. They didn't have that sort of reference anymore and that sort of reverence they needed to. They didn't have the um, majesty of what a monarchy should. All of a sudden, basically, now it's the, you know, it's the uh, the, how, the housewives of friggin' London is what this is. Charles, I think you are brilliant with what you just said. And I think you, at least for me, what you just articulating that, it just sparked in me this thought, this like uh, aha moment of, wow, that's is literally right in front of us. And and before I say it, I'm going to just bring in this idea that some people might be familiar with, not everyone. It's, um, I don't know if it's a law or a principle or a philosophical tool, maybe it's called. It's called Occam's Razor. Uh, also, I guess the principle of parsimony I'm reading, the law of parsimony. It's attributed to William Occam, who's a 14th century English philosopher and a theologian, um, and basically translates, even though he didn't say this literally, it basically translates as entities must not be multiplied beyond necessity. What it is used uh, today in more colloquial terms is that uh, the simplest explanation is usually the best one. And I think the question we've been focusing really on the how of how have we got to here? What have been the mechanics? What have been the strategies? What have been the, 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 the driving forces beyond arriving at this point that we are 55 days out from the coronation. But to your, to your question, the, what you're just uh, articulating Charles of the why, why is it happening? And I think you said it exactly right. It is about the, what the monarchy was for was for stability. That's what the monarch, that's what the Royal family was supposed to be. And if you think, okay, if that's what the, that's the, the function of the, of the Royal family, clearly they're not serving that function right now in what they're doing. So if you then say, Oh, what well, the queen is actually right. When she says there's an entrenched power in the country, that's even an even greater force than the Royal family. What do entrenched forces want? Right. They want to preserve the status quo. That's that's literally the entire point. That's their objective of a power is its primary function is to retain power. And if there is a power that is greater than the royal family that is acting, they're going to try to use the tool of preserving the status quo to continue to preserve the status quo. And the Windsors right now, they're not that. They're not stability. They are not status quo. And Harry and Meghan, certainly not status quo. And to your point of the Commonwealth and focusing on the Commonwealth, shoring up the Commonwealth, building it, having Megan actually inspire the Commonwealth to become something even greater, that's not status quo either. <laughs> that's not in the interest of an entrenched power who is trying to preserve things to be the way that they are. So if you think about it that way, the simplest explanation is the power that exists wants things to stay the same. <laughs> that, that is that is the we, that's the why we, we do know that they want things to stay the same but they want to build it on an image that sort of fit in 
to now that's a little bit more acceptable, right? That when you think again, I'm back to what we are about to see in front of us on the balcony. This woman, whether you like her or not, what she representing, there's a part of it that's strength, right? Playing the game and play it well. Presenting a different option to what you had, which is her kids. We are now going to learn so much about them. And I could guarantee, um, well, I'm not guarantee, but I feel like. Feel strongly. I feel strongly <laughs> that we're going to be hearing all this amazing thing that, you know, they've been doing and, and, and who they are. And I would not be surprised. They try to go with the model of Harry and Meghan and who they are because they know this is what people need. This is what people are looking for. This is what. So by the time this run is over, is there's even a place or space for Williams and his wife? Is there's even a space for them? Because there's no way you're going to look at all the chaos. All the bad PR that we don't understand that doesn't make sense, but yet makes sense to them. We kept asking how stupid they can be, but really they are playing chess here. They are playing chess here. And for looking at the meaning of all these words and try to put them in, 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 in some kind of context that where we can somewhat understanding. What is happening because it's just not making sense to us. Again, I'm back to the question maybe for the fifth and the sixth time. Is it over for the Windsor? Or is the Windsor now can only be saved with Harry and Meghan? And that is Maybe where we should start praying. And I know you have this. Our verses. Verse that you would like to lead us. I think you're right. I think we have to leave it there because otherwise we'll talk all, all day. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There are, there are two verses for right now anyway. Um, and they kind of go back to what we were talking about before of doesn't really matter not that it doesn't matter but whatever that evil is that's trying to what it's trying to accomplish through faith through god through whatever you want to call it whatever you believe in that is something that is turned around for good whether maybe you call it karma but when you look in the bible there's two verses you got genesis uh actually way at the beginning in genesis um chapter 50 verse 20 and he says as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Hmm. And the second one is Jeremiah's chapter 29, verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So guys, um, we're going to do our first song just so we can take a break, you know, to reflect 
and to figure out how do we win this war? How do we look at everything? I think we need to take a break and then we'll come back to close out the service. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph My God will never fail Oh my God will never fail There's power in the mighty name of Jesus Every war he wages he Why did he, she need, she feel the need 
to actually make that statement, knowing that the discussion was happening, you know, behind the scene, right? And and I think they knew somehow that, you know, oh, we maybe we should talk about it because, you know, if you say anything negative about, you know, sort of our princess Megan, it's, it's good news for us. We'll be everywhere. I, I feel like they knew that because you could see what happened today. I think, again, Royal Sussex did an incredible job showing these pictures, you know, after today's, like she was everywhere, right? That was all they talk about. And for me, the insult to me, for me is, is that, you know, it's, it's listening to this woman. And most people didn't hear, you know, the, the, the rest of the conversation when she said that, you know what, oh, her mother, I think she said something about convict mother. And she said something about, you know, sort of, you know, how, you know, her mother was, you know, to make it as if like, you know what, you know, making all her to answer to her, which is something that I notice these days is that no matter how much these people, they claim that, you know what, oh, I'm not racist. Oh, I'm not this. I'm not that. But somehow when it comes to black people, it's almost like you have to answer to me. You have, you have, you know, you don't have the right not to be kind or nice to me. That is your job to respect me, to, to sort of whatever. They, I mean, is this woman, is she always warm to everybody? Is that the first time somebody is not warm to her? What was it about? What was the big deal of that, that woman? You don't know what was wrong with her. Maybe she was having a headache. Maybe she wasn't feeling well. Maybe something that, you know what? I mean, what was the point there? Right? And then turn around and talk about, you know, her mother, how her mother sort of, you know, really, if there was anything to talk about, was about her mother. Mind your business. And also mind your business. <laughs> you know, because again, there is this thing, because they cannot find anything on Megan, and it's a trend, and I'm sure Sussex Squad Nation, you, 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 you see it that way through. You, you looked at the trend that is happening now. They are changing the face now who talk about Megan, right? So now they are putting a lot of women of color to come and batch her because then and when the white folks looking at this, they say, well, you know, look at how these people feel. Because if you only put white people talking bad about her, then all of a sudden what you will have is, is very obvious that, you know what, hey, you have something against that woman is racist, but you're not going to call it racist if it's coming from someone that will look like her. And I feel like there's a trend when you looked at the station, the people that, you know, who's now half defending Megan versus the person that is trying to batch her. Right? Which lead me to Chris Rock. Now, I know how many of the Sussex Squad Nation feels about him. And I disagree with him on many things in, in how he chooses to do his comedy. But one of the things that you know what, sometimes that really hurt, but understanding and appreciate, it's how the black community always find a way to either laugh at their situation, laugh at themselves. And we go through lives very often. We have to laugh about it. Otherwise, what else do you do? And I'm not here to silence anyone because I don't want anybody to silence me. Right? 
And I do understand sometime in bad time, we all turn to comedy. But what I feel about this particularly, how he choose to go after Megan, and this time, with everything, I mean, let's not even, you know, let's remove Megan out of this for, for a minute. What black women, it's enduring at the moment. Had they now, we are the focus. We are getting bashed. We are getting hurt. We are getting killed. It almost feel like, even if it's in funny, we don't need that, not now. And when you look at Megan, this woman, it's in daily getting abuse daily to a point that where she wanted to end it. There's nothing that I can find funny on that because to me, it's what the quote that you, you have. Yeah. I think, and I think that's a quote that uh, people, if they don't know it already, they should know it because it's, it's how I, at least the, the critical lens that I view comedy and when it's acceptable versus when it's not because th- th- people get very upset when you criticize comics it's like that's the whole point of satire like they challenge things that you can't say otherwise but the fact of the matter is if you're satire is meant to ridicule power and this is terry pratchett's quote satire is meant to ridicule power if you are laughing at people who are hurting it's not satire it's bullying right and that's the difference Absolutely. I could not say it better because for me, I think that was the problem that I have. I didn't know how to feel about it. I know I feel some kind of way. I think what sparked it on me that make me release the video that I did, the short video that I did, it's because when I looked at, I was listening to Baron because you know how much I adore him and see how he was feeling and I, how that if impacted him. And I turned to, you know, um, Anita from um, my Duke and I. I think I'm getting it right. If I don't get it right, I'm so sorry, Anita. This beautiful, gorgeous woman. To me, I looked at her as a mother figure. I looked at her, the teacher of the year, the teacher of all teacher. She, to me, when I looked at this woman, there is something in me that she represent. Oh, God, there is the emotion. Mm-hmm. That's the crying part. Sorry about that. There is something about that woman when she speak. There is a safety around her. And I see how she was hurting right before she go into work. She did this short video. Like, I feel like, okay, I needed to say something. (laughs) Even though I didn't know what to say. I just feel overprotective that I feel like I needed to say something. And I did, but it's not because I want to censor anyone or I want to say, it's just, I feel like the moment is not right. We are all under attack. And you're looking at, again, if there is, there is a beautiful quote, um, it's not going to be on the screen. I wish I could find it. I didn't have time to research it, but it was from Trevor Noah. And the quote, like in an interview that he says, black men, and black women walk on the street. They get rocks thrown at them. The black woman get in the house. Now, she got rocks thrown at her. 
And I will even go a little bit further of a, 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 a during, I think I, I, I presented in a, in a pri- prior show. Um, it was this conversation between Baron from Royal Sussex. And she, he was having this discussion and it was really avec, with, with Lauren. And oh my God, that... This woman is was so wonderful, but anyway, the conversation that they were having led to a comment that Byron said, some a takeaway that he, he he took from the color purple. And I don't think Byron at the time understand. Maybe he does, and you know, I won't say he doesn't. But I I what that meant for me, how I view things, how I see things, how that. That what he say right there. The way I analyzing it, how I view things, how it makes me understand something that I did not understand, and I would love to share it again. And I hope you guys get a chance to go and see that show. It was it was so enlightening. It was so genius. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just like you know what. Oh, let's let's chat. There's something powerful, at least for me, that come out of the show. And I want to share it again because it meant so much for me. You ready for me to take another one of my odd turns? <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, go ahead. you said fatigue. I have okay. a theory about Sophia on um, Color Purple. And I think that Harpo had worn Sophia down and gave her so, you know, when they were trying to break her, mm-hmm. not just um, Harpo, but Harpo was encouraged that he needed to break her, break yeah. her spirit, make her uh, less proud of herself and feeling, you know, free and, and full and whole. And mm-hmm. so do you remember the line where they said, if it wasn't for you, the white folks would have never got her. Do you remember that? And I, I do. I remember the details. I, I could only handle that movie once. I'll be right. honest. I, it is. A, <laughs> it hurt me. My little gentle flower spirit. It, it hurt me to watch. Okay. Right. <laughs> You're just like me. If it's a movie that, that goes there, I call it a one of. I couldn't mm-hmm. watch it twice. 12 mm-hmm. Years a Slave. I could only watch it that one time. Oh my but gosh. when they, uh, they had told him, they said, um, the white folks would have never got Sophia if it wasn't for you. And he said, that's a lie. That's a lie. But the thing is, he kept trying to break her down and had mm-hmm. her so defensive mm-hmm. and had her so agitated that when she got into that exchange with, um, what was it, the mayor's wife or whatever it was, that she could not back down for her own self-preservation. She knew she could not pull it back. So she said, get my children out of here because mm-hmm. she knew that she might die that day. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what happens so often with black people is that you have had to uh, sleep with your fists balled up and you're, you know, you've had to have that fight and flight feeling um, all these years, all this time. Uh, sometimes in the workplace, sometimes with your partner, sometimes with your, with whatever, 
And so when you get to that certain point, you don't have it in you to back down because all you know is I'm going to have to fight my way out of this. Yep. And I don't think there's anything else I could say. After that, just like I say in the last show, there's not much to add on. But what I am going to talk about just to come to close to the show, it's about Jeremy Vine. That had now, this is a new law for him. We can have our disagreement. We can have, you know, sort of, you don't like her or you doing the job, what you meant to do. Now we coming, having a slight of understanding. What is that PO is about? What is, what is, what is maybe behind all this? We don't know for sure, but what, at least what makes sense for us here in this space, in the presence of God, to be speaking to someone who don't really care of the demise of somebody else. Even having that conversation, it's problematic. On live TV. Kath in West Yorkshire, hello. Go on, Kath. Um, no, I think if he cares anything about his father, he should stay away. He shot his mouth off about killing 25 Taliban. Well, he may not have seen anything of Taliban yet, but they will bide their time and they will get him. Well, they might try. Do you think they might try at the coronation? I think it's a damn good place for them to try. Well, there's a lot of security there, though. I don't give a damn about Harry and Meghan, but there'll be a lot of the British public there. They will also be at risk. Mm. Okay, Kath, thank you. But we're talking about the person this woman was talking about was a soldier. The person this woman was talking about was the wife of this soldier, the daughter-in-law of a king, the son of a king. We are having conversation that we don't care. This soldier that who went to war, not as a prince, but as a soldier, to defend your right, your safety, and that soldier, you don't care whether or not the enemy come and took him and his wife. And you, Jeremy, after everything that you've been through, not too long ago. I'm amazed at how hard it is to get them to realize. So we went to YouTube and said, come on, you know, what was going on with this guy? You can't allow him to just defame. Then we say, okay, there's a libel action now based on that video, that video, that video. They still won't take them down. Eventually, we, I had to go through a lawyer. They take down individual videos. And then when he's convicted, they demonetize him. But the, half the videos about me are still up there. His technique was to say copy and share. So you'll have someone who takes this video in, in Moscow and hosts it and I'll, you know, it'll always be out there. I've got to live with that. But the fact that YouTube hosts this stuff, they have no responsibility. They don't care. They don't give a toss. They don't give a toss. 
Sorry for my language, but I am disgusted by their lack of values. And Twitter as well. You know, the guy, still, he's in prison and he's still got a Twitter account. What the hell is that about? I don't, I, I don't understand it. Sat there. Instead of defending the king's son, the soldier that fight for your right, fight for you to be able to sit on the chair that you are sitting and feeling safe, and you have nothing else to say to say, do you think they're going to do it? How do you make sense of that? Is that where we are? Is that what the chaos allowed to? Is that the control, the PR? After all says and done, where are we going to find ourselves? How we do we how do we we, we correct this? What is it? What what's the history book is going to say about this moment in time? So. I guess we'll closing with a prayer and we go into worship. I hope you guys stay and worship with us because we are soldier in the battlefield that is fighting not just for ourselves, for the truth and for the people that Harry is and Megan is helping and many people out there that was out there doing the work, doing the good work. Because service is universal. And we are serving. The Bible verses that I'm going to read, the first one comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And the second verse is Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3. Though therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as always, we want to end today's service uh, with a prayer. Um, we pray for probably someone you might not expect to, that we'd pray for. We pray for all of the royals, um, that they have guidance, um, that they can choose the right path. We pray for Harry and Meghan, of course, um, and their beautiful family, for Doria, for Archie, for Lily, for the wonderful family that they are and, and all of the work that they are doing, um, that they have the strength to continue doing that, and, and truly importantly, especially at this moment, uh, for their safety, especially with the coronation approaching. We pray for Harry, especially with the legal battle that's ongoing. We pray for a victory in that. And we pray for, of course, all of the squad, all of the Sussex squad, everyone who is supporting in one way or another in this most crucial of fights. That we can all, everyone, ourselves included, um, have the strength to, to carry on the fight, to have the patience to have the ability to take care of our own mental healths, to really do what is uh, 
is needed in 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 terms of um, bringing that love to the fore, so that love can win. And um, even though sometimes it means we have to be soldiers of God, <laughs> so we pray for for all of us to have that strength to to continue to support our wonderful prince and princess and their family uh, as we go into this turbulent time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen to that. Um, thank you so much, George. That was beautiful. Um, Sussex Squad Nation, happy Sunday, wherever you are. Please stay safe, guys. Please, please, please. And um, take care of your mental health, like George say. And don't let the haters get the best of us. We are here to fight a good fight. It's a fight worth having because we are saving life, helping people, and following Meghan and Harry's leadership. So happy Sunday. And please, if you can, stay and worship with us. Stay worship with us because we are the soldier this time. Our time is needed. So let's be a soldier. Have a good day. Happy Sunday. Soldiers in the army. We have to fight. Or we have to die.